Hello everyone. Today we will discuss the first chapter of Feynman lectures, the atoms in motion. In this chapter, Feynman talks about how physics is to be studied, what atoms are, and some day-to-day -day phenomena from an atomic perspective. So let us begin. If you want to become a physicist, you will have a lot to study. Believe me, from a student at IIT Kanpur. For the past 200 years, physics is the most rapidly developing field of knowledge that there ever is. In spite of the tremendous work that our incredible scientist has done, it is surprisingly possible that we can condense all this knowledge into simple summaries that we will call as laws. When I say simple, it's not that simple. Uh, and it is incredibly hard sometimes to understand the core idea of these laws. For that reason, for the first three podcasts, we will be talking about the relationship between each science, what sciences do, the meaning of science itself. I ask, why not just give me the laws like we do in mathematics, such as in Euclidean geometry, and we can do our work from there. But it is not possible to do that in physics for two reasons. One, we don't know all the basic laws yet. Yes, we don't. The correct statement of and the second, the correct statement of laws of physics involve very unfamiliar ideas uh, which we don't see in day-to-day -day lives and we need some advanced mathematical equations to even describe them. So I think I convinced you that uh, we need to study physics in a piece-by-piece -piece manner and most of the times we, we need to approximate the nature and Sometimes uh, we can say that uh, we are only learning things so that we can unlearn them later. Now the question comes, how do you know that this is a law? And how do you test that this is a, good, this is a true law? And the answer to that question is the principle of science itself. And it is the test of all knowledge is experiment. Experiment is the sole judge of scientific truth. You might get smarter and ask, Okay, we do have some way to test these laws, but how do you have a law to begin with? And the answer to that question is again experiment. So what our scientists do is, they actually try different experiments and sometimes they get hints from these experiments. And they, through their imagination, they try to put these hints in a good format so that they will look like a law. And that's how we get to a law from experiment. I hope you remember that I said we only know the approximate truth. You might think, why is that the case? Let me explain you through, the, through an example. In the past days, people used to believe that the mass of an object remains constant irrespective of its velocity. So that is, if you take a top and if you measure the mass and if you try to spin it, the mass doesn't change. And it was a very logical statement to begin with because you don't see that happening that if you spin a top you don't see the mass becoming more or less so people stated this law that mass is constant and it is independent of speed but in the recent times people with the good equipment has found that with increase in speed mass is increasing yes baby you heard it right you can say that we could come up with an approximate law such that um, if you go at a speed of 100 miles a second, the change in mass would be uh, in 1 in a million, which is definitely very small and it would, we can easily ignore them for day-to-day -day activities. 
But if you think at it clearly, philosophically, the statement, the above law, is completely false. Because even though the change in mass is very less, it forces us to change our entire belief system over how world works. Even small effects sometimes require profound changes in our ideas. And that was really the case when a special theory of relativity was discovered by Albert Einstein. We will talk about this crazy phenomena in our later podcasts. Now the big question is, how should we teach physics? So should we start with a constant mass and independent of speed wala law, which is very simple to grasp and easy to relate with? Or should we start with some crazy ideas such as relativity and four-dimensional space-time? We will start with the constant mass one because it will give us a feel for the subject. So let us start. What is our overall picture of our world? Imagine due to some cataclysm, all the scientific knowledge were to be destroyed and only one sentence can be passed to the next generation. Our friend Sir Feynman believes that it should be the atomic hypothesis, which is all the things are made of atoms, little things that move around in perpetual motion, attracting each other when they are little distance apart, but rippling upon being squeezed into one another. It looks like a fairly simple statement, but it actually comprises of very important information about our existence. So let us take a water drop, a simple water drop and put it under a microscope. So when you put this drop in a normal microscope and you magnify it for the 2000 times, you, you would still see a blue water. You would see these football shaped things swimming back and forth. And these are called paramecia. So if you were a biologist, you would stop there and you would study about how this football shaped species looks like. You would see a little hair like structures called cilia and other things where the energy comes to this particular creature. And that's how it goes. But if you are a little more curious, you would like to magnify it more. And when you magnify it for 2 billion times, the smooth water is no longer smooth anymore. Something like a football crowd. If you look at it more carefully, you would see what is called a water molecule, which has two balls called hydrogen atoms and one big ball called oxygen atom. So these molecules jiggle around. They move back and forth and up and down and go anywhere they want, still stuck together. But when you try to squeeze them more, they will try to ripple apart, as we have discussed in the first statement about the property of atom. Just to understand the size of this molecule, it is 10, 10 to the power of minus 10 meters. That is 10 zeros after one. particular unit is called Anstrom. It sure sounds like some Avenger character, isn't it? Now the jiggling motion that we have talked about is what we represent as heat. When we increase the temperature, this jiggling increases. And when sometimes the, this jiggling becomes so big that the particles in that water, that these particles cannot stuck together anymore and they fly apart. And that is what we call as in water vapor. Wave vapor is always present in atmosphere in very little amounts. Just try to understand the properties of this water vapor. So what can these little ball-like structures can do? So since for our purposes, we can think that these molecules can be approximated to balls. See, again, we are talking about approximations. So what do these balls do? 
they can definitely bounce through walls if they are confined in a specific region and they have a perpetual motion which means they never stop they just move and what if you try to hold this particular water vapor in a volume the vapor would try to push it and in order to push it we would need some force and that is what we call as a pressure and to be more precise pressure is force per unit area that is if you increase the area the there would be more number of molecules hitting the wall and hence the pressure to stop that would increase now imagine if in a in that particular box if you try to increase the density of water molecules then definitely more number of particles would be hitting the wall and hence the pressure would increase but if you want to be more true you can say hey didn't we just say that these atoms molecules attract each other and when you try to increase the density the attraction increases and hence the pressure would decrease and that is the case so when we increase the density by twice the pressure doesn't increase by twice but a little lesser than twice you can be more smarter than that you could say hey since these particles have little volume the total volume inside that particular region would decrease and since for a little lesser volume the particles would bounce more and the pressure would be more than twice and that is also the case so it is always this particular fight between the attraction and the volume that the pressure would be more than twice or less than twice and through some equations we can say which one is the case you can see that when we try to go in details with physics how interesting and complex and beautiful it becomes in our approximation we can say pressure is definitely proportional to density now imagine if you try to increase the temperature you can see that as we discussed the jiggling motion would increase and since the speed of this motion increases these little balls would hit the wall more hard and that is why the pressure will increase and we can say that temperature is directly proportional to pressure you can appreciate how simple these laws are now let us try to talk about one more thing so for this thing i would like you to imagine a tennis bat in a ball and you are trying to hit that ball on wall and if you try to bring that bat towards the wall you can see that the ball is getting more speed because of the motion of the bat and in the same way when we try to decrease the volume of the box because of the motion of the box the particles will increase their velocity increase in velocity will increase the temperature and that is why when we slowly compress a um, volume the temperature starts increasing and if you try to slowly expand the system the temperature decreases now let us go in the other direction and we try to decrease the temperature of this water droplet that we talked about we know the answer it will convert into ice what is this ice and what is what are its properties when you try to decrease the temperature of a liquid the the jiggling motion reduces and it there becomes a point where the atoms are relatively fixed and when you try to fix the position of a single atom all the other atoms will have a definite position and that is what we call a crystalline solid and water especially has this amazing structure which which looks like an hexagon that is with six sides interestingly this particular water solid occupies more space than its liquid form and that is the reason why water expands on heating and shrinks when cooled 
this phenomena is very particular to water and some very peculiar elements in all the other species generally shrinks when they are cooled because their motion is being resisted remember when i said that heat is what jiggling is and when solid has a relatively fixed position does it have zero heat the answer is no even though for solid the atoms are relatively fixed they still have a little jiggling motion and when you can even reduce the temperature and the jiggling reduces there is a point called absolute zero where the jiggling is minimum but not zero most of the substances this jiggling is very less that they only exist as solid at this temperature except one exception called helium helium is very energetic that even this little jiggling motion is enough to keep it as a gas but when you try to squash it so hard it can convert into liquid now let us go into the other direction and try to zoom out from this water droplet and take a beaker of water there will definitely be water molecules in this beaker and there would be a surface above which there would be air molecules such as oxygen and nitrogen with a little water vapor above it as you can guess these molecules of water always jiggle around and sometimes what happens on the surface is some two excited particles hit each other harder than they usually used to and some particles escape the surface and convert into water vapor which we call evaporation and in the same time some of the water vapor molecules fly by this water surface and as you know due to the attraction between these atoms the water vapor molecule gets sucked into the water again and becomes a part of water beaker again and this phenomena is called condensation and these two processes happen simultaneously and if you close the lid of that particular gas there is a point when it reaches the equilibrium that is the number of particles getting out of the surface through evaporation is equal to the number of particles getting back to the water again and that is when we call it reaches an equilibrium so if you take a close bottle of water and leave it there for maybe 20 years you wouldn't see any change it through your naked eye but in the background these molecules are getting converted from water to water vapor and vapor to water again and again one might ask a question which molecules decide that they would leave and this is completely random so what happens is sometimes a molecule can hit someone a little harder than they used to and when they hit it they acquire this an additional extra kinetic energy the velocity and since this energy is getting taken away from the system that is the water the temperature of the water beaker reduces and in the same time when the water vapor is flying near the water since due to the attraction they acquire an additional velocity and they come into the water and since there is an extra velocity created because of attraction this particular speed is shown through an increase in temperature and that is why during condensation the temperature increases During an equilibrium, the temperature doesn't change because the temperature loss due to evaporation is again taken back because of condensation. But what happens if you remove some of the water vapor molecules? The evaporation remains constant, but the condensation reduces, and due to this, a temperature, a net change in temperature loss is occurred. That is why when you blow on a hot soup, the temperature reduces. not only water sometimes what happens is 
The other molecules such as oxygen and nitrogen also come near water and they get into the water. And suddenly if you try to remove oxygen and nitrogen above the surface, due to the increased evaporation, a bubbles will form and the oxygen will try to escape from the water. And we all know that that would be a very sad case for fish. Now let us look at another phenomena that is dissolving salt in water from an atomic point of view. Salt is a solid, a crystal, an organized arrangement of salt atoms. Strictly speaking, salt is not made of atoms but of ions. Ions are the species which has an extra or fewer electron than they generally used to have. In this case, sodium has a positive ion because it has a fewer electron than its neutral counterpart. And chlorine is a negative ion because it has an extra electron than its neutral counterpart. Unlike water, sodium chloride does not have a fixed partner but several partners which together form a crystal. So when you try to put the salt in water, what happens is hydrogen due to its positive nature tries to pull the chlorine apart and due to the oxygen being negatively charged, it tries to pull the sodium apart and this particular process is what we call dissolution. And in the same way, like in condensation, the sodium and chlorine atoms again come together to form the crystal again. And because of if precipitation or the dissolution is more, we would see if the salt is being dissolved or not. In all of the processes we discussed, we did not change the partners of the atoms. That is, hydrogen only had oxygen and sodium only has chloride. But it is possible that sometimes these combinations change and what, that is what we call as a chemical reaction. A process in which the rearrangement of atomic partners occurs is what we call a chemical reaction. The other processes so far described are called physical processes. But there is no sharp distinction between a chemical process and a physical process. Nature does it way and that it is humans that we give names to these concepts. In the case of an oxygen molecule, two oxygen atoms stick together very strongly. One might ask, why not three molecules or one molecule? And that is a great question. But atoms have this very peculiar characteristics. They are very picky about what they want to partner, how many partners they want and in what directions they will partner with. I know, two upstate, right? At any rate, two oxygen atoms form saturate and happy molecule. Whereas carbon atoms are supposed to exist in a crystal format such as graphite or diamond. When this oxygen molecule comes closer to a carbon atom, each oxygen atom picks up a carbon atom and forms what we know as carbon monoxide. We have found that the carbon attracts oxygen more strongly than what oxygen attracts oxygen. And due to this additional attraction, even though when oxygen comes with very little energy, because of the formation of carbon and more oxygen, it, re it releases a tremendous amount of energy to the surrounding system and inc it increases the jiggling and the motion. Sometimes the energy is so much that it produces light and that is what we call as burning. Sometimes carbon is not just happy with one oxygen and it takes another oxygen atom from an oxygen molecule and that is what we call as carbon dioxide. Now let us go in a completely different direction and talk about a flower lily. So what happens is this lily flower 
produces a molecule, different molecules. And since we all know that uh, since these molecules have a perpetual motion, they jiggle around and travel here and there. And sometimes what happens is, accidentally, these molecules come near to our nose and this nose sends signal to our brain that some different molecule has come to our surroundings. And that is, my friends, what is called a smell. I hope you appreciate how these atoms and molecules exist in our environment and doing so many things without us even knowing their existence. One might ask, how do we know the structure of this molecule? And that is a very big field of chemists to find the structure of this molecule. So what they do is, they have different bottles with different chemicals and they mix this particular molecule in them. And they find that if a particular bottle turns into a color, it represents that this particular part of atom is there in that structure. And that is just amazing. Even though physicists with their microscope can't look, look at these complex molecules directly, they were able to find some simple molecules through a microscope, a very powerful one. And in almost every case, chemists were always, always right. From this podcast, if you can take home one message, it would be, everything is made of atoms. That is the key hypothesis. The most important hypothesis in all biology, for example, is that everything that animals do, atoms do. In other words, there is nothing that living animals do that cannot be understood from the point of view that they are made of atoms according to the laws of physics. If a piece of steel or a piece of salt consists of atoms one next to each other can have such interesting properties. If water, which is nothing but these little blobs, mile upon mile of same thing over earth, can form waves and foams and make rushing noises and strange patterns as it runs over cement, all of this can be nothing but a pile of atoms. How much more is possible in physics? Possible that the thing walking back in front, in front of you, talking to you, is a great glob of these atoms in a very complex arrangement, such that the sheer complexity of it staggers the imagination as to what it can do. When we say we are a pile of atoms, we do not mean we are merely a pile of atoms. Because of a pile of atoms, which is not repeated from one to another, might well have the possibilities which you see before you in the mirror. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Have a great day.